Thus, when the Vikings set forth to rob and plunder England, they never sailed out of sight of land. They confined their attacks to swift overnight raids. It was no accident that the English Book of Prayer contained this sentence. Protect us, O Lord, from the wrath of the Northmen. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. And today we're going to be talking about The Vikings, this great and fantastic film, and just so you know, folks, the oldest movie that we have showcased on the Man Cave Movie Review podcast to date stars Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, Ernest Borgnine, and the moderately attractive Janet Leigh. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is Mark. Where's James Hong when I need my new eye? Slover. <laughs> this is the second movie with an eye issue in as many weeks. You know, Steve, I realized that a couple reasons I could not be a Viking. One, I cannot grow facial hair, and, and you can, so that one you've got covered. But both of us couldn't be Vikings, but Ken still could be a Viking in this movie. Because he looks good while we don't in shorty short short shorts. <laughs> you know where they got the idea for Speedos. They saw this movie oh. and went, you know, that's an awesome idea. That's right. And Ken can pull that off and you and I can't. I'm jealous. So Ken could be a Viking. Yep. Because he could wear shorty short short shorts. Yep, he could. And speaking of which, uh, also joining us is our other very good dear friend, Ken. Feed him to the crabs, Roni. I'm getting sick of the way that you're just pushing us around and orders us around like we're slaves or something, Michaels. Back <laughs> off or I'm going to sick my falcon on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Very good. Uh, I like it. Uh, yeah, keep that bird away from me. Yeah, there's... We're <laughs> going to... <laughs> what the hell? Sound effects. He was getting his Vikings. His Vikings. He was He's getting his falcon out. All right, uh, folks, we're going to be talking about the Vikings, and I just want to give a quick throw out there. This movie was actually suggested to us by one of our uh, very uh, early listeners and a devoted fan, um, uh, Mr. Rutledge, uh, suggested this one, or at least told us about it, and uh, we were very excited, because uh, we've seen this one, we've seen another one that was similar to it, it's called The Long Ships. But this one here we decided to do is uh, streaming. Well, I, I take that back. It is not streaming. You can get it on um, uh, Amazon Prime. If you're a member, it's streaming for free. And you can actually go on YouTube and see the whole movie for free. So there you go. But otherwise, it's a very good movie. This is back during the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, and like I said, it stars uh, Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, Ernest Borgnine, and Janet Leigh and... I'll tell you what, if you're at a certain age, you probably don't even know who the hell these people are because you've never seen them before. Now, if you're our age um, or Ken's age because, you know, he took his first date to see this movie. Wow. It already started. Started. No, no, no one picked wow. up on that. Ken's probably. Wow. Ken's probably I'm, I'm bottling my rage. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go... show you what a berserker on your ass exactly. is. <laughs> nice. I'm sorry. No, I just had to throw that one out there because... But you're not sorry, so come on, sorry. be honest. I'm not. You're not sorry. Oh, hold on. We, we have to... I mean, I, I deserve something, but what you're implying is, you know, that I was taking... When I was two years old, I was taking the 
the the chick baby down the street yeah, down right. to uh, see this movie oh, with that. my non-existent money. Yeah, I take that back. Actually, you were taken there by your babysitter. That that's what it was. Could have been. Yeah, but I, no, I've got I've got to say I've never seen this movie. I'm just dumbfounded because when I was a kid, I am sure this this was on TV and such, and I would have eaten this up, but I never saw this one. Well, so this is well, my first feeling. Well, like what I want to you know convey to our listeners, like I said, I I really don't know the uh, the age demographic of our listening base, but uh, those of us who are in our uh, you know forties and upwards, I mean, we know who these people are. I mean, you've seen them before. Uh, obviously, you know, Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, Ernest Borgnine, Janet Leigh, those are all, uh, people that we have seen in movies, either, you know, as kids and, uh, reruns and stuff like that. You know, these are, you know, some of the classic actors from the time. And they did a lot of, especially Kirk Douglas and, uh, Curtis did a lot of the Sword and Sandals movies from the, uh, uh, mid fifties, early sixties that, um, uh, are classics to this day. You know, we may do a few of them, you know, down the road. Uh, and, and this is one of them. I'm classifying this as a sword and sandals. And I'm just going to get right into the uh, IMDb plot of this movie. And um, uh, Einar and Eric, and that is uh, Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis, they are two Viking half-brothers. The former is a great warrior, whilst his uh, brother, or I'm, I'm sorry, his half-brother is an, uh, a slave but doesn't know his true identity of, and the uh, the throne of Northumbria in Britain becomes free for the taking. The two brothers compete against one another for the prize, but they have different motives, and both involve the Princess Morgana, who is played by the moderately attractive uh, Janet Leigh. And that's pretty much the background. Actually, that's a very brief summary. One of the things about this movie I'm going to talk about, guys, this is one of those classic movies from that that period of time in which they made epic movies. You know, they didn't like crush stuff together and just say, okay, here's the thing. I mean, they made epic movies. You know, these were two, two and a half hour movies where they really didn't uh, compress the politics or anything like that. They really kind of got a, a little in depth. I do have to point out uh, a, a thing that popped out to me is, you know, I'm no stranger, obviously, to movies from this era. I mean, they're out there. I've seen a lot. But once I sat down to watch this with the idea that I'm going to talk about it and, you know, give my thoughts about it, a thing that popped out was just the pacing of the story, uh, as opposed to those we've done. Because we've been doing mostly modern movies that, you know, made the 80s, 90s, and, you know, modern day for the most part, a little bit in the 70s. Uh, and the modern movies are just much faster paced, quicker shots, quicker cuts. And in this, you've got a lot of these scenes where, it's, you know, they're just taking their time. You know, they're, they're lingering on, you know, a scene of people talking. They're lingering on, you know, lengthy shots. I mean, how many times in this movie did you just see the slow approach of a, you know, dragon ship across a beautiful fjord or something. They did it. And, it's, you know, you wouldn't do that nowadays. I mean, they would just chop and move on. I thought that was, you know, to me, something that jumped out. Did you guys notice that? I did. And, Ken, that's a good point. And I was actually going to bring that up uh, throughout the show. But since you brought it up now, I noticed that, too. I mean, there's probably a good, 
I don't know, what would you say? That one scene, uh, you know, when they're coming back from the Viking raid, there's, there's a good five minutes or better of just the longship coming in with the music and just the, you know, the picturesque landscape scenes, you know, the scenes of the villagers coming down from there. I mean, it was almost something out of like the sound of music in a way. Not that I've ever seen that, but I have images of it. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was just like this very epic scene. And like you said, they took a long time. And I think I know why they did that. And we'll talk about in the trivia later on. But, I mean, those boats they made, I mean, those were those were actual functioning longships that they created. Oh, yeah. The yeah. I mean, they weren't, it wasn't like some mock-up thing. I mean, that was a re, that was a real long boat. I mean, they modified it for the, for the guys that were of the size at the time, but I mean, it's not like it was, you know, propelled by motors or anything like that. I mean, they created a real thing. So I think it was one of those where we spent a lot of time and effort in creating this thing. So we're going to, we're going to put as much camera time on it as we can without putting the audience to sleep. Plus, we're going to show you this great picturesque parts of Norway as a bonus. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and I'm glad you you picked that up, too, because I did. I, I would like to uh, just throw out there that this was made at a time when these people, and the, the main four actors and actresses that we're talking about here, were all A-list at this time. I mean, some of them were further along in their career than others. Uh, this was made at a time when Tony Curtis pretty much had just recently broken through from being, you know, basically a supporting actor to this. Uh, Ernest Borgnine had broken through. Kirk Douglas, I mean, he had been well known for, for years. Uh, pretty much the same with Janet Leigh. She'd been, you know, a, a well-regarded actress with, you know, good meaty roles back in the earlier 50s. But then they all went on to bigger things in the not too distant future. So, you know, by the time you get to, you know, the next year and, you know, maybe two or three years down the line, they were putting out highly regarded movies that everyone still knows today. Right. And that is, I think, what is really kind of compelling about this movie is, like I said, you've got some A-list actors in this thing. I mean, gosh, when you when you want to compare the people that are in there, you know, you got Kirk Douglas, Tony Curtis, Ernest Morgan, Janet Leigh. That's like having, gosh, what, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie. I mean, think of your top name actors all in the movie. I mean, this is one of your epic casts. Um, not saying that those guys are comparable, but in terms of just the A-list actors, that's what you had in this movie. And you saw that a lot at this period in terms of yes. people. I mean, you saw Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis have been in other Sword and Sandals movies together. It was almost like they were the... Uh, uh, a few years later, they did Spartacus. And yeah. In terms of, I mean, that's probably the, of this genre, that's probably the best known today. Right. One of the things about this movie that um, I'm going to, that I would like to talk about is to do a little bit more, not so much talking about um, you know, you know, the plot and everything in this movie, because the, well, actually I do want to talk about the plot of this movie. It is kind of, um, in depth. I mean, there's a lot of political intrigue going on in this thing. And it, it's very hard to compare this movie now because it seems like now movies are so much more fast paced. You really don't get a whole lot of time delving into storyline and, you know, how, why is this happening and this and that? Whereas in this one, I mean, they spend a lot of time 
you know, quite a bit of uh, uh, time in the movie developing how Tony Curtis, you know, or, or who Tony Curtis is. Yeah, the, the people writing this didn't, uh, they didn't have a low opinion of the intelligence of their viewers. Uh, they weren't afraid. Now, I'm going to qualify that a notch. I mean, in terms of the writing, the plot, like you said, you know, they, they, it's fairly intricate. Uh, but this also falls into, you know, a stereotype that Hollywood has been and probably continue to will be, but it was especially bad back then, did, which was, you know, not really paying too much attention to a lot of the details in terms of, you know, the his, you know, historical elements and things of that sort. And again, listeners know that, you know, we're pretty much, I think, all history freaks to some degree. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, okay, this is set in the 800s. Uh, the English pretty much are armed as if they were in the 1200s. I mean, I'm thinking, I think those, those shields were, you know, had the coat of arms of one of the factions of the War of the Roses. Right. Uh, you know, the castle that they besiege. You know, there was no castle in the world that good in the 800s. That's right. that's a nice 1300s maybe castle, but it was well in advance of anything they had. Now, because in Hollywood, they're going like, well, does it look medieval? Yeah, that's medieval. And yeah, anything within like a five or 600 year spread <laughs> of time was good enough. And, you know, why should we? recreate, you know, all the armor and everything for this movie to make it accurate when we could just go get what, you know, Danny Kaye did back in that last movie and uh, use that instead. Yeah, Ken, you're right. This is not, and this is not a historically accurate movie by any stretch about Vikings. This is not a documentary or anything related to that. It's a sword and sandals type movie where they did that sort of thing. But on the flip side, there were some things that for the period and even for today, we're pretty cutting edge in the sense of trying to be accurate that they they didn't film this in the fjords of Northern California. <laughs> they they you know they went on site. They as Steve mentioned, they built three uh, Viking longships based upon the plan based upon a longship that had been recovered. Um, you know, so some of it. You got to give them credit for. I, I'm like you. I there, there were stuff like the medieval arms and the castle and whatnot that I kind of went, uh, okay. Well, I know the difference, but a lot of people probably don't, and that's okay because that's not what they're trying to do. But on the flip side, I'm like, wow, you know, those are three long ships, and yeah. and you know, that's a Viking village or probably what we all have in mind of a rough period village with rough folk, and that. So I give them a lot of credit that they 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 really tried, and I like the Vikings. They're all odds and sods kind of put together equipment, and they're all rough looking, with the exception of uh, Tony Curtis, who's you know leading man handsome. And I I think that one of the best actors and who makes this movie, who you just root for throughout, is Ernest Borgnine as Ragnar. Right. He's, he's a happy he just, Viking. Oh, he is the quintessential Viking. And he's got the best beard. He's he's got the laugh. He's got the look. But they, you know, I, I do. I was watching this movie going for fifty in 1958. This movie still holds up pretty well. There's stuff that we notice, of course, but 
all in all, I was I was impressed with the production values, let alone the cinematography, which was just jaw dropping. Well, yes. you know, and that's a good point, Mark. When you bring up like cinematography, that's what a lot of the movies from that era, and this is what I want to yes. talk about, where we contrast. There, this is a different era, folks. I mean, you're you're watching movies where if you're looking for um, you know, like realism of fighting and stuff like you're not going to see it. I mean, you're basically seeing a bunch of guys out there with wooden freaking swords painted gray slapping at each other. That's pretty much the extent of it. You know, you're not going to see a lot of blood flying, if any at all, because I don't think they actually even allowed it back then. But what you saw. Oh, yeah, there's there is the one scene with Kirk Douglas. Where he's oh, got that, blood leaking through his hand. Oh, that's right. I After he loses his eye, that's a great scene. Yeah, that's that's a yeah. I totally forgot about that. And I think in terms of that period of time, I mean, that had to have been horrifying to audiences. You know, yeah, to see it's that graphic yeah. for the period. Yeah, it really is. Especially when you saw the way you know Tony Curtis you know threw the bird at his face, and we'll 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 talk about that particular scene, but. <laughs> Did I hear a bird? Was that a duck? Did somebody sit on a duck? Yeah. Ken, did you hurt yourself? Was that was that the Affleck guy? No, that's that's my that's my falcon. No, oh. <laughs> I was feeding it. Okay. Yeah. I do want to throw out something that they didn't do, and although they piled on a lot of Viking stereotypes that may or may not be accurate, nobody was wearing a horned helmet. No. And that I give them props for that because nope. that's a that's one of those stereotypes. That a lot of people did show, but they were drinking a lot of beer out of uh, ram horns. I will yeah, say. well, that's that, and that's what they used. I don't know how tasty it was, but in terms of quantity, when they throw yeah. a party, they throw a party. If there was something where they said there was a time portal where you could go back to, uh, and you had to go back, you just had to pick the time. I'm going to pick that period of time right there where they're having the party because you got a lot of hot smoking. Blonde Scandinavian girls with this huge barrel of beer, just bringing you like barrel doesn't give it. Yeah, that, yeah, barrel's not it. It's, it's and that that doesn't give it justice. It's like a hot tub full of beer. <laughs> I was gonna say it was a hot. It tub. was a it, it was a hot tub full of beer. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I just love the foam that's just coming over, and I'm thinking. Yeah, I I could see why I would have been a Viking too. I mean, and everybody a, ate. You didn't eat. Anything but something that had a haunch, <laughs> a leg, something you could grab onto and rip with your mouth and then flail about and, and throw food parts everywhere. Yeah. That's also a requirement of that period. Yeah. No, no, finish, finish, finish saying what this is. I have one thing I want to throw in. I, I'm done. I mean, we've been talking about how they're doing this, you know, back in the fifties. And I, I mean, I threw out that idea of how you notice just the, if you really pay attention, it's slower paced. They linger on scenes more to give people an idea. If you're sitting there trying to think, well, wh- what, you know, what are some examples, uh, that we can use as a counter? Uh, I, I'm thinking of three movie, modern movies, which are feet are in the Viking age or near it, uh, just to have a counter. Uh, one is 13th Warrior, uh-huh. which definitely is a, I mean, that's they're Vikings, but again, when you watch the 13th Warrior, Totally different feel in terms of pacing and such. Uh, you've got, I'm not saying it's a great movie, but Outlander, that Viking versus space alien versus space marine movie. Oh, God. 
Yeah. Which has some good scenes in it. Yeah. It's got Ron Perlman too. And, uh, Beowulf, the recent Beowulf movie a few years back. That animated movie? No, no. Pseudo animated. The one with Angelina Jolie and it's a, it's a Beowulf movie. I mean, you may not have seen it, but it actually was in the theaters, did pretty well from what I understand. But they're all, to give a counter to what this, how they, how they, how Hollywood treated the Vikings back then and how they just filmed the artistry of the film versus the way they do it now, I think those would give a good counter. Hey, uh, Ken, you brought up a good point, and it just hit me now when you said about 13th Warrior. I did like the scene, and I almost kind of wonder, did they pull something from this movie when they made 13th Warrior? You remember the point when uh, uh, they brought Tony Curtis in, and they were going to sentence him to death? And remember the witch? You know, the crone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the crone. Yeah, the crone was over there, and she's like, Odin said that you have to spare his life, and he's like, well, what do the runes say? Well, like it was like in the 13th War, you know, she throws out all these bones and then, and then the Vikings, you know, she throws out like these like casino chips that you saw from, uh, you know, Casino Royale in the James Bond movie. It was like <laughs> cards. It's like, okay, what the hell is that? I, I just, I kind of thought that was cool because when I first saw that scene, when, when she comes out, it's like, where the hell did she come from? Was that like an homage to this movie? I don't know. I do know that uh, Mel Brooks' History of the World Part Two ripped some scenes off of this movie, oh. but I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know Thirteenth Warrior was trying to do an homage to it, but maybe they were. What kind of job description is that? You know, this this is our village crone. <laughs> here's a blacksmith. You know, here's the weaver, and this is the crone. Who who aspires to be a crone? That's my question. One of the things I want to talk about, like some of the actors and the guy that pretty much is, I think the, I think that was supposed to be the star of the show was like Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis was like the supporting actor. I think that's what they had uh, imagined. And that's kind of what all the billboards and everything, but it seemed like Ernest Borgnine who played Ragnar, who was the uh, Viking chief and the father of, uh, Kirk Douglas, who, uh, although in actual age was, I think, like a year older or younger, something like that. Um, he's actually the kind of the guy that stole the show, in my opinion. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Kirk Douglas was just, I think, kind of awesome in this movie. I mean, I really thought he was uh, just really playing the type of Viking warrior uh, that you would have seen back then. I don't know. Well, I have to say, Ernest Borgdine, all through his career, tends to be one of these guys who, he may not have been the star, but when he's on screen, he really does dominate it. I mean, he's got a powerful persona. And what he's acting, when he, you know, I think he throws a lot into it. He's got, got he's a talented guy. I mean, he's well known for, uh, I'm trying to think, was it just, within a year or two of this movie, he had, uh, he had been in Marty. I think he won yep. the Oscar for that. Yep. And he was also uh, Fatso Judson in From Here to Eternity. Right. Uh, power, I mean, again, when he's on screen, you know it's him. He, he, he's there. You he's know, that's that, that's a good point, Ken. He he is. I mean, you could put him in there, and he may not be the, uh, the starring role, but he's going to dominate the screen. And it's really hard to realize when you watch this movie that it's really Kirk 
Douglas and Tony Curtis that are supposed to be the, you know, the main draws, but it's really Ernest Borgnine that is really dominating the movie. Well, I'm going to say that's a, a tough thing to do, to, to cast it, to direct it, and just to be the actor doing it, to play the power, I mean, your character is the powerful character, but in terms of the actor, you're just a supporting member of the cast. You know, you see that a lot in movies, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, I forget her name. I, mean, I remember we did Death Race. Uh, who is the woman that was the supposed to be running the prison? Oh. Good example of this. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of uh, her name off the top of my head, but I know who you're saying. But, but it's that idea that you know, we have the star, Kirk Douglas. He's got the star power. And, yeah, okay, in terms of casting it and paying them and everything else, Ernest Borgnine is a supporting character. But in the movie, he's supposed to be the man, the guy, the right. chief. And he does it. And he does it really well. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he actually even looks like a Viking. That's the great part. And that's one thing I want to talk about, too, guys. Did you notice um, just the the people that were, like, surrounding them? I mean, even the, even the guys that were on the longboats. I mean, great-looking extras. Yeah, they used locals. I, and man, did they look like that back then? Because I mean, they got the beard, the hair, and everything. It's like Jesus Christ. I mean, these guys look like Vikings. I mean, they looked real. It was awesome. I I love that because really, when I say that Kirk Douglas and uh, Ernest Borgnine look like Vikings, it's like yeah, they got the beard, and well, Kirk Douglas doesn't. But uh, but I like the way they explain why Kirk Douglas doesn't. And I got they explain the quote. that. Yeah, okay. and I got the quote for that. That was nice. That was that was a nice explanation. <laughs> yep. But well, they linger. I mean, the camera lingers on yeah. these extras. They don't have to like pay much attention to, you know, the men and the women in the village at all. But they do, and I yep. thought that was kind of nice. Well, and it's also again, it's it's this period of movie, and you especially see it with um, Spartacus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, this is when you had extras, and you could pay extras very little, if not if anything. But you got a lot of people who gave you that local color or flavor. And I, I mentioned Spartacus because when you see the final scenes of Spartacus, you've got all of these extras dressed as Roman legionary and as as the slave army. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this was again that period where you could show up at a town and say we're going to film a movie and we need extras. And this still happens to a to a degree with movies. People will show up, but you you got folk and you got folk that looked the part mm-hmm. and i again i give the producers and the directors credit because they filmed on location so they they got folk who were probably their great 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 grandfather was a viking right well and we talked about that i think when we did braveheart uh way back in the day on this podcast was when they did some of those big battle scenes, I mean, it was pretty much there was no there was very little CGI involved in that movie because at the time it was made, that was still kind of coming into its thing. So uh, when you saw those big armies, I mean, those were real people; those were extras, and it was like Irish. I think they filmed it in Ireland, and it was like Irish militia. So when they and they talked about that is that when they did those battle scenes, those guys weren't screwing around. I mean, they were literally going at each other because it's like. Oh, it's time to settle a score. And they just, 
and they literally had to break some of these fights up because those yeah. guys weren't kidding around. I mean, it was it was time to get down. So well, I mean, and I like that. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, you know, don't want to see anybody get hurt in a movie, but I mean, it does add some flavor to the you know, to the story. Well, and the yeah, thing well, I that, like about this, and Ken, you've commented on it before with the advent of CGI. Um, one of the downsides, because you know we're going to pack ten pounds of crap in a five pound bag, is this movie had a good balance of okay, three live Viking longboats can carry X amount of men, and that's the raiding party, and here's how many people are in the castle. Unlike in a modern movie where you have thousands of yeah, people, the, because the seas would be black with longships. Right, exactly, and no, we didn't do that. This is a raiding party, that and that again, that's why. That's one of the things I enjoy about these movies is they did what they did with what they had, whereas nowadays, and it's good, bad, or indifferent, depending upon the movie and what they're attempting to do, they can overcompensate and just go the opposite direction with too much of the digital extras, as it were, and that that takes away from the movie. So I, I like that. I, I, that's another reason I enjoy this movie. I, I just got to throw this out about the fight scenes and all, and that is, this is, this movie, this is a good example of the Hollywood battle scenes, Hollywood tactics, uh, that were so common in these movies in this day, because they've got to show a lot of action, a lot of energy, but they don't really want anybody, you know, they, they, they can't do it in a way that people really get hurt, like Mark's talking about. So, it's a lot of people banging on each other with, you know, wooden swords and, you know, plaster shields. I, <laughs> I especially sort of laughing. When they're, when they're launching the catapult and those, you know, those paper mache rocks are falling on the mm -hmm. guys. And they're, you know, like, you know, the, the rock just sort of bounces off the guy's head. He goes into spasms and falls down. I mean, it's like, it's obvious what's going on. But they did what they could do. I mean, they can't go out and kill people. Right. So, right. you know, it's a different era. And, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. If you are a modern viewer thinking, like, I want to see blood and guts and, again, the seas black with ships and the fields covered with troops, this is the wrong movie because they just couldn't do it. And it wasn't right to do it. They did the best they could. But the thing of it is, Ken, like you said, it not no not only was it not right to do it, it was not right to do it because that's not how it was historically. I mean, most of your Viking raids during that period, I mean, you're only talking about a couple of hundred guys. So, I mean, you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. It looked right. You know, nine, ten thousand men was a mighty host. But like you said, too, um, going back and another good example of, you know, just the action scenes was when the. Uh, when Kirk Douglas uh, took the longship out to capture the uh, Princess Morgana, you know, that little brief uh, naval battle scene, you know, where they're like throwing spears and firing arrows. It's like, unless you hit somebody just like, like right in their eye or something like that, you're not going to hurt anybody with that spear because it was just almost like us throwing, <laughs> us throwing right. spears. It's like, no, we, no, you're not going to hurt anybody with those. And even the way the arrows were shooting, I mean, it's like they, they had those bows set where it's like, yeah, you could shoot the arrow, but I mean, unless you hit somebody like straight through their eye and pierce their brain, you're not going to kill anybody. So, but, but the thing of it is, like you said, it's 1958. By our standards, those battle scenes were crap. 
But well, that, and also Hollywood still was living under codes. I mean, there were things yeah. you could not do, you could not say. Correct. Correct. And you saw, you saw, and that's permeated through this movie. Well, and you know, and let's talk about that a little bit real quick because they did push the envelope on this little bit when Ragnar came in in the very beginning. Uh, in the very beginning of the movie, you know, they talk about how the Vikings are, you know, raiding uh, all of England because at this time England was not England. I mean, it was just basically the little petty city states all over the place. It so was a Vi- buffet for Vikings. Yeah, it was basically the Vikings were like, okay, we're going to hit this one, hit this one, and you've had other uh, parts of England that were paying off the Vikings. It's like, hey, we'll pay you off, just don't raid our lands. So they go somewhere else. Well, and they touch on that in this movie. They yeah. do. They, I mean, this that's the part whole, of the that's part that's an important part of this movie, right? I mean, that's basically where the whole concept of Dangeld came from. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the scene where they show in the very beginning when the Vikings raid and they you know they kill the uh, the king of Northumbria and then Ragnar you know sees the queen there and uh, it it's implied. Uh, mm-hmm. What happens and even Vikings are known for raping and pillaging and. Oh well. Yeah, and and the thing of it is, is that when you see the scene afterwards, I mean, you don't see anything happen. All you see is Ragnar grab the queen, and then the next scene you see is uh, her, you know, like laying across a bed, uh, and and you see bare shoulders, which you know, by today is like whatever. But you know, this is 1958. I mean, you didn't even see, you know, this is back in the day when. When you were watching the Dick Van Dyke show, it's like if you the rare scene where they showed the you know the bedroom they they slept in separate beds. Well, you saw Janet Lee's back, and it's like you oh, know right down to her lower back. It's like that's that's that was like spicy and racy as the yeah yeah that, exactly. And again, folks, for those of you who don't understand, there's you know for some of us who look at this stuff from a historical uh, point. Uh, from the standpoint of movies, I mean, this is pretty much a cutting edge movie for that period of time. Uh, you didn't do, you didn't show that. Yeah, when you saw Janet Leigh's bag, it was like, hello. And speaking and of. And she had a nice back. <laughs> I'll tell you what. And a nicer she, front. Uh huh. She was absolutely stunning. And she yeah, was probably one of the most beautiful women. There was a few of those actresses from the 50s and the 60s. Uh, Janet Leigh was one of them. Um, uh, God, what the hell was her name? She was in uh, North by Northwest. Um, Grace Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not drawing a complete blank here. Grace Kelly was absolutely stunning. And they were just gorgeous women. I mean, gorgeous even by the Hollywood standards today without any make, you know, without the, the, the plastic and the surgeries and all that stuff. It's like, oh, good Lord, they were just stunning. But anyway, I digress. What the hell yes, are you talking did. about? We were talking about actors. Okay, we're we've gotten to Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> we were right. and Janet. We just covered Janet Lee, I think. Which I think she does. You know, she's her role is to be the pivot between the two half brothers, Tony Curtis and and um, Kirk Douglas. Right. And I I think for the period, she plays a fairly strong female lead. She's pretty feisty, mm-hmm. and she. She carries herself as a princess very well. I think she does a fine job in the role that she's handed, and she's she she does walk a line of trying to show 
this princess, but also a woman who's not afraid to stand up for herself. Right. Another little detail about her, which I didn't realize until I was doing my research for this, is she was married to Tony Curtis. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, like, they they were a married couple when they were making this movie. Interesting angle going Mm. on in the back scenes. Oh, yeah. Can imagine. Among other things. Easy. Yeah, I'm just saying. What do you guys think of Kirk Douglas? I thought he he just is a quintessential actor of the period, and he just strode through every scene he was in. And not in a scenery-chewing bad way. He just possessed scenes he was in. I agree. He did. Kirk Douglas was always known for that period of time. We may be boring some of our listeners on this stuff, but for those of us who really have... Um, watched a lot of these old sword and sandals movies and and just stuff from that period of time kirk douglas was he was a legend i mean he is still alive i mean that the dude's still alive still alive god i mean he's got to be christ i mean he's got to be 90 i think he was born 1916 so dude yeah i mean dude's like 95 six or seven he's still alive he's He's the only one of the actors who is still alive from this movie yeah, so I mean, he's, uh, he's been doing, he still does movies. I mean, he, no, uh, look at Aaron. No, he stopped, he stopped in 2008. He did well, yeah. one, he did a TV movie and then he retired. But, well, okay. I consider 2008 to be today. I mean, it's, it's not that long ago. Right. Sorry. But, I but yeah, I mean, he was still working in the odds. Yeah. I mean, this guy has been doing stuff forever. I mean, he is considered a legend in Hollywood. Um, if uh, for those of you who don't know who Kirk Douglas is, uh, I'm sure you know who Michael Douglas is. It's him. It looks yeah. just like him. Same, yeah. same, same guy. I mean, pretty much. I, I mean, when you is. look at Mike, when you look at Michael Douglas now, it's like, holy crap, you're becoming your father. You are your father. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, actually, you look at Michael Douglas now, and it's Kirk Douglas in the Final Countdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, same guy, because yeah. this is our second uh, movie that we've uh, had Kirk Douglas in, so there you go. Well, an interesting thing, I, I've never seen this before, really, with a, a, a modern actor, is if you are if you go out to Wikipedia and look up Kirk Douglas, did you guys notice what's at the end of the Kirk Douglas article? Mm-mm. No. Much like you would see, like, the line of descent with a old king in the old days, they've got Kirk Douglas and his spawn and descendants a family tree but he was married twice and so it shows you know there's one branch you know two kids another branch with two kids and then there's Catherine zeta jones in there and like oh wow that's interesting i've never seen that with an, an actor on their bio before but yeah he's he's a interesting guy one little detail about all three of the male actors in this thing were world war ii vets which was one of those things about these movies in the 50s, they pretty much all were. They all did something. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. And then it's... you've got the British character actors who played the other roles, who, you know, Alexander Knox, Frank Thring, who played King Ayala, James Donald as Egbert, the good guy sort of turncoat. These are great British classic character actors. Well, and here's one thing I want to talk about, guys, is this is still in an era of Hollywood where it's still, I think, trying to adapt to making movies because I think a lot of these guys were still doing stage acting. And you see that in these movies. I mean, some of the scenes and the way they're set up, it, it, it's almost stage acting. I mean, 
it's the way yeah. it looks. It just looks like I'm watching a stage play. Yeah, that's well, that's you, how they were trained. Did you catch who what what other movie? Most of our listeners would be familiar. They they know Frank Thring, who plays King Ayala. Uh-huh. They've seen him because he was in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yep. He was the balding fat guy, I think. The oh, the God. one guy who with the eyepiece who was the accountant or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was the yeah, heavy set. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, that was his last, I think one of his last movies because he lived in, um, Australia. Well, that was, they, that dude was doing a lot of movies even, um, I mean, like right after because he was in the, yeah, he's still oh. doing movies. Yeah. You're right. Oh, he's still doing stuff? No, he's dead. He died in oh, I was 94, say. but he was doing movies right up until the time he died. Wow. Well, I, I think about, in terms of like the, the, the style of the movie, uh, this was, as, as Steve pointed out earlier, this was the, the day of the, you know, the epic. Hollywood put out these epics, big budget, big cast, you know, scenes on locations. But a reason they were doing that was TV was that. Hollywood was sort of getting its lunch eaten by everybody staying home and watching TV. TV was a brand new, exciting thing. So Hollywood had to beat TV. So how do you beat TV? Well, you got to make it bigger, more colorful. This thing I think was one of the, the earlier pan or the, the Panavision big screen, you know, epics. But they were that's how they were trying to overcome it. Now they it didn't work in the end. TV still beat them out. And then we got into the 60s and a whole different style of movie making. But this was that period where they thought they could fight the small screen by making the big screen bigger, and it didn't quite work. I think we've covered actors. Did we talk about Tony Curtis? Oh, thank you, Tony There's Curtis. Tony, oh God, yeah, we forgot Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis is—I mean, I always liked Tony Curtis. He's to me, he's a good-looking guy, but he's a likable guy, especially after he made this movie. You know, he was doing serious acting, but then. He was willing to go out and, you know, do comedy, to be a supporting character type actor. He, he was a very diverse guy, especially well, once a, he got into the 60s. He's in one of my kids' favorite movies, uh, The Great Race, which, oh, yeah. if you, which is a great slapstick movie with, with, he, with him and Natalie Wood and, uh, oh, Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. You know, it, it's your and classic. Yeah, and Peter Falk, Max, push the button, Max. It's and it, he plays the straight guy to to Jack Lemmon brilliantly, and he has fun with the role. But you're right. Then he turns right around and does the Defiant ones in '58, um, right around the time he did the Vikings too. So this guy's got a, a significant range of uh, of drama as well as comedy. He he's a very capable actor. But he's not capable of pulling off. The uh, effect of my hand is gone. Oh like, well. Oh, what? what, what <laughs> Come on, dude. I mean, yeah, you know, you're not fooling anybody here. Right. Now, <laughs> but, having said you know, that, they did what they they did what they had to do. Exactly. They did what they had to do, and it worked, and it was all right. Well, and you know who is, and if, for our listeners, if you've ever seen True Lies and you enjoy Jamie Lee Curtis, well, that's Tony Curtis's daughter. Yep. Absolutely. She gets her good looks from her dad. Mm-hmm. Except he's prettier. Well, he did make a nice-looking woman in the movie, so I'm like it hot. 
Yes. Wow. A great movie. A great movie. This is one of those roles where they cast a guy who had leading man looks to draw in the women, and, and he's the pretty boy in the movie. But he's a pretty tough pretty boy in this movie. Well, like I alluded to in the opening, I mean, I don't think I've seen many movies where somebody sticks a falcon on somebody's face. Right. <laughs> that 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 even that makes a statement. I mean, if yep. somebody did that to me, I'd remember the guy. Well, you know, we need to talk about that. That's where uh, uh, what's his name lost his eye. And this is the second movie where it's starting to become the podcast of uh, you know how do you lose an eye in a fight. Uh, this is the second one here. That's actually kind of a graphic scene when you watch it. You know, when you yeah, first watch it. For the day. Like, yeah, for the day. That, I mean, people had to be cringing in the, in, in the seats. Well, and was it just, was it just me or did you guys, I, I was watching that scene where, you know, Kirk Douglas has got this falcon on his face and it wasn't like a stuffed falcon that he was waving around. It, that thing was flapping its wings and everything. I mean, that was a falcon on that guy's face. See, I thought the same damn thing, too. And I've watched that scene a couple of yeah. times. I'm like, how did they pull that off? It was no stuffed falcon that he was just doing a Monty Python shtick with. Yeah, I saw Batman res- wrestling with a shark once, but you know it was a rubber shark. Yeah, exactly. I saw Joe Dirt getting fighting with a uh, alligator, but I knew it wasn't a real alligator. But here, it looked like a real falcon to me. Yeah, that scene was pretty, and you're right, that scene was pretty graphic. And then how they made his eye look. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the we'll prosthetic. That. yeah, we'll talk about that in the trivia because. Yeah. Uh, his, pr- his pretty boy looks were pretty much destroyed by that scene. Yeah, well, they, yeah, and they made a bunch of comments about that, or as we did throughout the show about, uh, or throughout the movie about how his pretty boy looks, you know, because he got scarred up, and it's wow. I mean, because I remember watching that too, and I was like, how the hell did they do that? Because yeah. the same thing with you, Mark. I'm like, those wings are flapping and everything. I mean, this is 1958. Did they have that kind of technology? Is that a real bird? Because I thought the bird. same. Ooh, crazy. Now you know they could have. They could have had because oh, you saw it from behind, so you know they they could have it could have easily been a stunt bird having you know a muzzle and no claws and he was heavily wrapped or something because well, you really couldn't see his face. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was a very well done scene. Yeah, when we talk about special effects, there are none. It's all practical. I mean, everything that you see is actually occurring. So. But you know what? Let's talk about that. Let's let's go on the plot and scenes, guys. What's your favorite scenes? I've got two. All right, shoot it. I want All right, to, my, my two favorite scenes in this movie are the scene of because again we're talking about you can clearly see that there were stuntmen used, but there were but Kirk Douglas did his stunts with the walking the oars. <laughs> there you go. I, I love that scene. That is such a great scene. The guys walking, stair stepping on the oars as they're rowing into, they're coming into the harbor and the guys are falling off and Kirk Douglas kind of falls off and catches himself and he does it not once, he does it two or three times. That, that's a fun scene for me. Yeah. And the other is the scene in the Great Hall where, you know, uh, Ragnar, Ernest Borgnine's character and Einar, Kirk Douglas, they're, they're whooping it up and having a good old time and, Everybody's drinking and roaring and thumping and and then we get to the the woman who has sullied her honor. Oh, here we go. And <laughs> and well, how do we how do we know if she's innocent? 
well, if we cut her braids and don't decapitate her by throwing three axes at her and chopping her three braids off, then she's innocent. That's a fun scene. I love that scene. That, that Not just that, but that whole, everything that goes on in the Great Hall, that's just great stuff. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Ken? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out, uh, a just a short little scene that was key to the movie, and that's the Ragnar at the Wolf Pit scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. One. Ernest Borgnine has been captured by the, his enemies. The enemies are gonna feed him to the wolves. Uh, it's a scene where, you know, because of various things, Tony Curtis has to shove him into the wolf pit. Uh, and, you know, right, you know, they, they've made a, they, you know, they do the Chekhov's gun routine a lot here. I mean, you know, they allude to something and then they, you know, talk about it again. They talk about it again. Then also it's like, boom, here's why they're talking about it. And they've made several allusions in a movie up to this point about how, what a dishonor it is for a Viking to die without a sword in his hand. So now, okay, we're going to throw you into the wolf pit and the wolves are going to tear you limb from limb. But he's going like, no, I, you know, let me go, at least give me the honor of going out like a Viking. So they, they give him the sword, they shove him in the pit and, you know, they don't show it. You hear snarling and growling and yelping and all, but you know that, you know, if there's 12 wolves in that pit, Eleven of them just died. Right. And so did Ragnar. Yeah. And those weren't like, uh, half-starved beagles in the pit. Those look like starving, vicious wolf dogs. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, the other, I'm not going to say it's a great, in terms of realism, not great. But in terms of just watching it, watching this, the attack on the castle at the end, <laughs> it's, you're going like, just a general person has to say, that's a strong castle. I'm going like, this is like a 1300s high, high middle ages castle with, you know, this thing's impregnable. You know, there's no way these Vikings will take it. And then they show them and it's like, it's not like they siege it for a week or a month. It's like, they just sort of show up. Okay. Let's take it. Okay. Boom. You know, 20 minutes later, castle taken. And the way they do it, I'm not going to go into detail, but pretty original. They, they use some, some smarts and overcome the, the problems. So no, no reason to, to take your time and dilly dally. Uh, just get down to business and take the castle and move on. And you know, the other thing they do in that scene is they're not afraid to take losses. No, no. but they're going to take that castle. Right. Yeah. But again, they're not wasting lives. But it's like, no. oh, you know, if it happens, it happens. You know, and you know, you're, you're going out with a sword in your hand. So, okay, you're, you're, you're good. They demonstrate that pretty well throughout this movie is the fear that is instilled on the quote unquote Christians and civilized folk because the Vikings are just fearless. Yeah. And, well, and they, a, they reflect that in this movie. <laughs> Pardon me very well. A, a subplot that's going on the whole time. Hollywood doesn't like to do this thing anymore, but it's the thing that it's the Christians versus the pagans. I think they're very direct about it. I mean, we're English. We're Christians. These are pagan Vikings. They're barbarians. Maybe we can save them and bring them to the light, but, you know, they're, they're pagans. I mean, they're, you know, it's not like, well, they're just an alternate lifestyle. No, that's not it. They're pagans. They're they, pagans. You know, they, they, you know, if they don't, you know, if they can't see the light, kill them. You know, they don't deserve to live. So it's a, it's a different way of looking at things than you usually get in these more politically correct times. Right. Um, what about you? 
How about me? Uh, yep. Favorite scenes? Um, well, you already took my favorite scenes. Um, that I was going to say the the ore walking scenes and the uh, wow, really <laughs> took the two right out of my uh, my uh, board here. That's all right. Well, let me throw out one scene, not a scene, but a thing that popped up several times in the movie that I thought was amusing, and I'll just ask you guys, but what what did that guy do to pull the duty of your job is to sit up, you know, climb up every morning to the top of this tall tower and blow this horn? I mean, that guy's lungs had to be just so developed. They had this gigantic horn that he'd blow when a ship is coming, but he's, how do you get that duty? I mean, that, that, that'd be a, he had to do something bad. I, I'm just going to say, I've got a, when we do sound clips, I have a few, um, commentaries to make. And that is, that is a ringtone I want for my phone now, by the way. I do. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is so awesome. It is. But that's a great scene too, because, You've got that panoramic shot of him up there with that huge horn and the the long ship coming up the fjord. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, and, and that's what we talked about with cinematography. I mean, when you see that, it's this isn't CGI, folks. I mean, this is a long ship coming up a fjord in Norway. It's Again, five, five minutes with beautiful sceneries and glaciers and mountains. And oh, yeah. The, the, the mirror-like water. Hey, this hit me. Did, did, did Peter Jackson rip this off for uh, the two towers? <laughs> <laughs> this hit me. That, that horn. You know, I don't know which one's bigger. Oh, Good point. If you're going to watch this movie, you watch it for the cinematography because you see some gorgeous landscapes and just the sweeping epics that we don't really do today. And and uh, and uh, Ken, you even brought it up. You don't really see that. In movies until you actually saw Lord of the Rings, where you actually saw some of these sweeping landscape type of uh, 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 scenes that you will see in this one. What is Peter Jackson got a lot of kudos when he did Lord of the Rings for his use of the scenery. The fact, you know, I, I remember reading a thing saying like, you know, the scenery is one of the characters in the movie. I mean, he brings it in, but... You know, they did this all the time with movies like this in the old days, although this is this movie probably does it better than most. No, nope, I agree. All right, folks, uh, let's see. It is now time to move on to, um, gosh, are we there already? We are. Brother, what you drinking? Ken, surprise us. What do you got? Well, the... Got any, uh, got any swamp water with uh, Mountain Dew? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stick to sort of the plot here. Uh, Uh-oh. You know, the Vikings. I think you all would agree that the Vikings were renowned as the foremost pirates of the medieval period. Would you all agree? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And so to, to further honor the pirate trend, I'm drinking a beverage that commemorates one of the biggest pirates of the 18th century, Captain Morgan, with a Diet Coke splash. Splash. Well, a little bit more than a splash, but not much more. Nice. All right. Like it. Well, he does have the Viking pirate thing going there, so I'm going to go. I guess I'll go along with that. I had no time to go out and buy some meat or a hot tub full of ale. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hot tub full of ale. Hot tub of ale. Does that come come with a buxom blonde Norwegian wench bathing in your hot tub of ale? 
If it did, I would have bought one. I bet you would have. I'm telling you right now, guys, that scene when they showed that, <laughs> as, as Ken was saying, the hot tub of ale with these, you know, gorgeous blonde Scandinavian girls just like dumping like those huge flasks of, uh, um, ram horns in there filling it up. I'm like, wow. To be you want to be there. I, I was like, I, I, I would have been a Viking. You know, Steve would look good in a set of bearskin shorts, wouldn't he, Mark? Oh, you know, and shorty shorts. Shorty horn in his hand. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think and, so. And a, and a falcon attached to his face. <laughs> yeah, right around. <laughs> There's that bird of yours again, Ken. You better feed it. Yeah, bearskin uh, shorts and uh, ale with a uh, eye gone. Oh, gosh. No, I'll pass on that one. Mark, what do you got? Talk to us. I am drinking a beer appropriate for the evening. I went out and found a beer called Skull Splitter. Oh, I know what that is. And it is not something that you slam back. Nope. It, it It's a sipping beer. Um, it is it is from Scotland. Because you know if it's all Scottish, it's crap. Thank God, I thought I was going to have to lead you to that. No, when you said Skull Splitter, it was like, it was like chumming the water first. I just wanted to make sure. It It is an ale. It is from Scotland. It is a dark ale. It's a, oh, wow. It, you do not, you do not come at this thing without a modicum of respect. Um, I've been working on this thing for about 30 minutes now, and it's 8.5% alcohol by volume. It's tasty, but um, I won't be drinking two of these. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, Skull Splitter gets that one. It doesn't matter. It, it's a good beer, but it's, I, it. Have you had it? Yeah, I have had Skull. When you said Skull Splitter, I'm like, I was already getting my Scotland accent out because yep. I knew what it was. But you know, you but you agree, you cannot. This isn't one of those you can take down in four or five quaffs of beer no it's uh no you have to nurse that one it, yeah it's almost like you're drinking bourbon yeah it's good but you got to take your time with it yeah and eight and a half percent i think they're lying and that's why i gave it to godzilla because i've had one of those and i literally was like slamming my head in the wall one time <laughs> just, <laughs> just just saying i was wondering how we we're gonna get these you know the obligatory scotland reference in i thought somebody would say something like well where is northumbria well it's right next door to you Scotland. I I looked at that and I'm like, okay, there's our Scottish reference. I checked the box is checked. I don't even have an ounce of Scottish blood in me, and I don't know what the hell my uh, fascination with that. It's because but. you don't have to wear underwear when you wear your kilt. That's what it is. It's what it is. It's why I go commando all the time. There you go. All right. Uh, what am I drinking, guys? You know what I'm going to say right now. Again, I stopped at uh, one of my uh, favorite breweries. Uh, at College Park, I got some more of uh, Liz's um, porter. You've been on a roll with that. I, you know what? When she's tapping it, I'm going to be filling my growlers up with it. And it's, um, I know I've had it before. I'm going to recommend it again. Uh, for those of you who live in the Indianapolis area, the Rock Bottom at College Park, right off 86th Street, uh, get the porter. Love it. And part of it is, guys, I love porters. And there's not that many of them around. 
Uh, it's hard to find them. And when you can find somebody that actually makes it, uh, you get it. And when you can actually find a brewery that actually makes it, you freaking get it. And Hertz <laughs> is fantastic. So that is what I'm having right now. Uh, gentlemen, we are done with Brother What You Drinking, so let's go on to Clips, our favorite part of the show. There's a few in here I pulled out. Um, don't have a lot, but um, because it's one of those things where there's it's not so much a clip fest as that there's a lot of drawn-out dialogue. Uh, that sounds really good, but it's like, all right, well, I'm playing part of the movie, so... Like I said, it's different pacing. They didn't. Yeah. The idea here, when they're writing this, it wasn't like, well, what kind of quick zinger can we put in here or something? They, that's just not the way they worked back then. Right. Exactly. All right. So I'm just going ahead and play this. Uh, this is uh, number one. You're late. We've been waiting half the night. I nearly didn't get here at all. I had a nose of our meetings. I barely escaped with my life. You've got to take me with you. He's no more use to us. Send him back. There's no way to reward a man who's guided our raids. No, we'll find good use for him. Come aboard. And one thing I liked about that and the reason I grabbed that clip is because Ragnar, even though he was a Viking and a barbarian, he had a coat of honor. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter that he's helped us out. I'm not just going to, like, screw him over. That sets up Ragnar very well. Yeah, it does. Uh, that, and the, that and the prior scene with the queen. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, I like this one here. This is uh, when you first hear Kirk Douglas. Drink to your safe return in English ale. <laughs> I wish that it were English blood. <laughs> yeah, I could have saw myself up there like just uh, chugging a whole case of, uh, but you know, I don't think I have the upper body strength to hold a whole keg over my head. Like, well, what is a, is a, like a, I don't think that was a real keg. That was full. I don't even think I could hold that one over. And when you when you saw the size of that thing, it's like, wow, that's that's a lot of beer. With wood. well, did you notice a lot of beer was wasted dribbling down people's chins? Well, and that's the other thing I want to talk about. That was one thing that offended me about this. Is like, God, <laughs> alcohol that was wasted in this movie. Yeah, the the rape scene, the hacking off of limbs. That didn't bother me, but the beer the wastage. Beer wastage. I'll tell you what, when he threw that keg on the rock and it shattered, I literally got up, walked up to the stairs, and cried. The dunnage of beer was a sad thing. This is number two. This is when Ragnar was explaining to his uh, English ally who his son was. He's I now, my only son in wedlock. He's so vain of his beauty, he won't let a man's beard hide it. He scrapes his face like an Englishman. I like the fact that he said, my only son in wedlock. Matt, I got a lot of bastards running around this village. Yeah. I got so many, I don't even know how many I got. But this one, I know who this dude is. I love that. Well, and I like that they didn't say shaved. That he scrapes his face. He scrapes I, his face. I like those that, that use of language in this movie. Yes, they were, they were good about that. All right, uh, Mark, we were talking about the guy that was... Uh, uh, blowing the horn when the um, uh, log ship was coming in. And I immediately thought of that commercial where they said, Ricola. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's totally it the same. They I, stole it from this movie. I think they did. 
Ricola. It is. The Ricola horns were not nearly as big and dramatic looking as that guy's horn. That's another thing about this period with the sword and sandals movies, whether it was Rome or Egypt or this. They always had cool, great horns with with this unbelievable, you know, Hollywood-esque sound from the horns. That was always a trademark of these movies. I know, and it was great. And that's, oh, yeah. what, that's what made these movies classic and epic. Go see these movies. I mean, you watch them now, and it's like, yeah, they're cheesy, they're corny, but... They're great. Look at it beyond the cheesiness and corniness and look at the cinematography, the acting and all that. It's great stuff. It's epic stuff. And that's you know, historically, fun. that horn probably sounded like a someone let a cow pass gas through a ram's horn and it echoed. <laughs> yeah, that's, it probably did not sound anything remotely like what we just heard. But that's part of the attraction of these movies. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, next one. Look how he glares at me. He wasn't fathered by a black ram in the full of the moon. My name is not Ragnar. What would you do with him in your country? We have a special reward, which is rather entertaining in a noisy way. What's that? It's nothing much. It's just a pit full of wolves, half mad with starvation and trained to appreciate the flavor of human blood. It's nothing much. He's talking about his son there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ken, this is a part that uh, we had the favorite scene when the uh, husband is throwing the uh, the, the, <laughs> the axes. At He's the, drunk uh, and scared. Yeah. <laughs> I edited down a little bit just so it would be manageable. Uh, this is great stuff. It does look rather an interesting game. It's not a game. It's Odin's test for unfaithful wives. Is she an unfaithful wife? Ask Einar. <laughs> Husband says she is. What you seeing? He's throwing the axes. But uh, if she's innocent, her husband will succeed. The braids will be cut. <laughs> Supposing he misses the braids and hits her. Or that she's guilty. (laughs) Best part of that thing is classic British understatement. Yep. Oh, I see. And I love it because, you know, what's great is Ragnar setting his son up. You put her in this situation, buddy. Yeah, you got to get her out. Because... The girl that's basically being uh, sacrificed uh, because her honor has been uh, violated, shall we say, was by Einar. So Ragnar, it, it's a great little scene where Ragnar pretty much tells his son in a very subtle yeah. way, you better go out there and save her ass. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. This is uh, when they were going to get rid of Tony Curtis because he had uh, uh, sicked his uh, falcon on uh, Kirk Douglas, and they were going to send him off to his death. The crone, the witch, the whatever they call it. Cirrus. Cirrus prophet that was going to say, you can't kill him because Odin said no. And Ragnar said, no, we're going to do it anyway. So here we go. Then no man shall kill him. Let the tide of the sea do it. 
Bind him. Cast him into the slot pool at low tide. Take him out. You'll not kill him, but you'll throw him into the slop pool to be drowned and eaten by crabs. Then let the crabs be cursed by Odin. That's my decision. Uh, no, that is a lawyer at work. Well, let's see. I can sidestep this issue and still resolve it. As much as I like Ernest Borgnine, it didn't have the same effect of this. So let it be written. So let it be done. True. Well, Yul Brenner has more timber to his voice. Can't deny well, it. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. But he wouldn't have looked good as a bald Viking. A bald Viking with a huge beard, though. That would. Well, yeah, but then bound up like as an Egyptian beard, you know, kind of long, <laughs> straight up. The Egyptian Viking. Wow. Oh, gosh. All right, folks. Um, that is it with clips. We have to move on to the Man Cave Movie View Checklist. Number one. Never gets old. <laughs> Did anyone jump through a window? Yes. <laughs> we had windows? Kirk oh. Douglas leapt through the stained glass window at the end of the movie in the fighting around the yes. castle. He used that grappling hook to climb up yes. the tower beforehand. Oh. And he pitched himself through the chapel windows, that stained glass window. To get to the princess. Actually, come to think of it, did they have that back then? Stained glass, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't. I sure. mean, it was rare and valuable, but yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that big of a window. It no. Was small. And and actually, leaded stained glass. He wouldn't have just popped right through it. He probably would have bounced off of it. But yeah, he'd have to be banging on it out there for a while. <laughs> They'd have time to get up and leave. Yeah. All right. Number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Uh, was there a relevant female role in the movie? I would say no. No. <laughs> Actually, you know, like two female roles in this movie. It was I mean, there was she, the you know, there you was the governess who was with the princess, and then there was the crone, and then there was the girl who had her locks cut. Yeah, yeah. There's no fe- yeah. I mean that, and they were pretty much yeah. You didn't really see them, and you had to have uh, Janet Leigh in there. So, right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so, uh, yeah, there we go. All right, uh, let's see, number three. The answer is no, because she wasn't born yet. And even if she was, she's no Janet Leigh. That's right. Sorry. No, he's right. No, Janet Leigh's no. got something on. Yeah, Janet Leigh wins. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> number four. Was there an AT montage in this movie? I don't think they did montages back in 1958. I don't know if this qualifies, but I did love the scene where they're throwing the axes at the gate. And and uh, then the who was it that climbed up the... It's Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas climbs the gate on the axes to, to then get into the gate. That's probably not an A-team moment, but it was really one of those well-done type of how-do-we-solve-this-problem moments. It's in the spirit of the yeah. A-team. Yeah. It's taking, approaching a problem with what you've got and overcoming the difficulty by using your tools in a unorthodox manner. Yep. All right, last but not least. And so... 
it begins. Um, you know what? I don't think anybody on B5 was born when this movie was made. So, uh, there may have been one or two, but I don't believe they were in this movie. Didn't see anything. So, you know what? I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to roll the dice on this one and say, no, there was no Babylon 5 reference in this movie. And, uh, I think I can sleep pretty safely knowing yeah. that. I think we're all right on that one. Then again, if Muncie was here, I'm sure he'd probably find some, like, second cousin twice removed who was a stuntman. <laughs> the grandfather of a stuntman who was I'm in Babylon 5. Just saying. Oh, gosh. All right, that's it with the checklist, folks. Now it's time for the review of this great and fantastic film. Mark, you're the benchmark. I'm up first tonight, eh? Yep, it's all you. Um, I've been picking on Ken a lot the last couple of weeks. Well, all right. I like this movie. Um, it has all the qualities th- that made a great sword and sandal movie just that and ushered in an era. I don't know if this was on the forefront, but it had to be one of the early ones that, that created this whole genre that Hollywood can then bow to for whether it's Vikings or Romans or whomever, uh, and reboot this. We saw this with Gladiator being rebooted and now there's a tv series on one of the cable channels called the vikings you know this without these movies that came out in the 50s and 60s this whole genre probably would never have been created and it's a fun fun movie you know if you want historical vikings don't come see this movie if you want fun sword and sandal adventure with some great cinematography some Nice music for the period, great actors enjoying their roles and embodying their roles, and a, a fun story that is straightforward. Um, you will like this movie if you like these kind. If you like any historical period that's medieval or Roman, you really need to check this one out. I'm glad that we had a listener recommend this. Um, I think we also need to do the long ships because that's another twist on the, the Viking genre that is very well done. But this is a great movie. As I said, beautifully filmed, well acted. You've got some classic actors. Ernest Borgnine, to me, hands down steals the movie. Um, is it is it a great movie? No. Is it a fun adventure that you would have you wish Hollywood would make more of because as we noted, they take their time. They pace this movie pretty well. The, the, uh, the action for the period is solid. Um, they, they are, uh, they, they treat the material fairly well with respect and there's a decent amount of historical attempts, especially in the, in the time. Um, I'm glad we did this. Uh, I hadn't, I had seen this movie, gosh, I don't know, when I was a kid, which is a long, long time ago, 20, 30 years ago. So I'm going to give this an 8. It is it is a rousing adventure with good actors, and it is just a solid movie. So I'm going to give it an 8. Ken, what do you say, sir? Mark beat me to it. Uh, I mean, what he said pretty much goes for me. Uh, although, as I mentioned earlier on, I never saw this movie, and I'm amazed now that I've seen it that I never saw it because when I was a kid, these movies were on TV all the time. I mean, they're late night filler, Saturday afternoon stuff. I would have thought I'd seen it, 
Uh, I liked it. I, I mean, I more than liked it. I'm going to give it a seven. Uh, I think it's totally respectable. If you're totally used to modern movies, and you know, you might think this is a little slow paced, but sit back and enjoy. You know, this again, the cinematography is great. Decent story. Uh, classic again, A-list golden age actors uh, and actresses. So it, it's well worth seeing. Uh, I sort of touched on it before when we were way back when we were talking about doing a Viking movie. I'm a fan of the long ships. And I've got to say, if, if I had to put the long ships next to this, I'd give the long ships a little better grade, but that's just me. May not, you know, your, your mileage may vary, but if you like these kind of movies, check this out by all means. It is available, easily available. And, uh, if you got some extra time, check the long ships and see if what I said is true too. All right. Uh, thanks, Ken. Guys, I love this movie. I love movies from this era. I'm a big, uh, sword and sandals, uh, fan from anything that was made back in the fifties and sixties. There's a certain nostalgia part of it. I really like, really enjoy this movie. One thing I like about this movie is the fact that all the stuff that you saw was all practical. It was all practical effects. The long ships coming in through the fjord. All that stuff was done. It was all real. That's a big deal for me. That's what really makes a movie um, real for me. And I really do think that improves upon, um, you know, the quality of a movie. Where you see now where they do like it's all CGI or whatever, where, you know, they had to build these ships from hand. So... That is a big deal for me. Um, overall, I'll give this movie like Mark. I'm just going to say, compared to some of the other stuff from that period of time, I'm going to give it about a 7.5. There's a few other issues that we didn't get into the uh, review that I didn't talk about, but that's all right. But for me, this one's a 7.5. Really enjoyed it. Uh, you got to go see it. If... Um, you like the sword and sandals stuff from this period of time. This is definitely one you got to see. All right, so folks, that is it. That's my review, and that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review, episode eighty-six. Uh, stay tuned for us next week, and we're going to be talking about uh, Rain of Fire. You hear that, Jeff? We're talking about Rain of Fire. You better be here because it's your movie. It's the one about dragons destroying cities, giant flaming things, because you said you would be here for this. So you're on the you're on the uh, the hook for it. What's the uh, movie? Rain of Fire. What was that again? Rain of Fire. Okay, Rain of Fire. R I A N, right? Rain. Yeah. I before E except after C. Oh, rain is in rule. Oh, okay. Good to know. I was I was gonna be struggling with that one then. But yeah. not just one dragon, many dragons. And Matthew McConaughey, right? Yep, Matthew McConaughey with a bald head and tattoos that I am actually going to go out and get in the next about uh, year. Because it's our first Matthew McConaughey movie. It is. Yeah, and it's a Christian Bale movie too, if I'm correct. Just a slight bit of trivia, uh, not to keep on it, but do you know where Reign of Fire is set? In London, I believe. Yes. Well, parts of it are, but most of it is set to the north in Northumbria. Ooh. Which is right nice. next door to... Scotland! Because it's not Scotland, it's crap! Twice in one night I had to listen to that shit. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate that one. Awesome. So that's it for Man Cave Movie Review, episode 86. Stay tuned for us uh, next week. Uh, and check us out on our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. And leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or don't like it or don't like the fact that Jeff has been like bailing out on us for like the last two weeks. We're also on Twitter, so follow us uh, there if you want to know uh, some upcoming stuff that we're going to review. So until then, I'm your host, Steve Michael, signing off. With my very good and dear friend, Mark, where is James Hong with my new eye, Slover? Odin! Nice. Oh, I love it. I was wondering, was it you or, or Roni that was going to do that? I was wondering. I had to get the Odin call back in. Very good. Uh, and last and not least is our other very good and dear friend saying farewell, adieu, and avida zan. Ken... Feed them to the crabs. Roni. Well, I've been planning all night to wrap up with this original line. Oh, <laughs> Mark oh. stole it from me. I know. Yeah, that's it. That's all right. I was expecting that because that would have been my closing line, too. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. As you can tell, we did. Uh, until then, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off. Ciao. Dear friend Jeff, where's James Hong with my new eye, Slover? Jeff, where's James Hong with my new eye, Slover? You just transliterated my name with Muncie's, you bastard. Mark, go in your bathroom, shave your head, and come back and finish up. I've got to mush myself down by about six and a half inches, too. Just stand on your knees like Tim Conway used to do. (laughs) I can be Muncie instead of Dorf. Dwarf on movies. No, you'll be be Morph. (laughs) Or Murph. All right. All right. In three, two, one. Let me let me back this up. (laughs) No Christmas for you. You're off the Christmas list. I've been off the Christmas list for about the last (laughs) fifteen years of my life. All Uh, right. So all right.